like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here. Heather Shoemaker, we have a guest in our virtual podcast studio today. Who's with us and what are we talking about? Well, our guest is Alyssa Moene Lupembe, and she lives in Evansville, Indiana, which is where my family, my brother lives. So when I met her at a conference, I said, hey, you're from Evansville. So (laughs) welcome, Alyssa. Hi, thanks, Heather. Hi, Jeff. Hi. So what's the topic? Well, there's so many topics. Um, Alyssa, maybe you'd like to start by telling people, you know, what you do, what your normal job is, because we're inviting you on because of a, um, an article you wrote and being an editor of a certain um, book. But, you know, why are you qualified anyway? <laughs> I'm not sure some days. <laughs> Well, so um, my name's Alyssa, and I, like Heather said, I live in Evansville, Indiana. Um, So my day job is I create professional development for uh, early childhood educators throughout the state of Indiana. And the topic that I work on is inclusion. Um, And so not just including children with um, different abilities, but also making sure to include children with different cultural backgrounds, um, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic status, Um, So that's what I do um, every day, um, all day. Um, Historically, I've been the director of different programs, um, serving lots of different types of children and families. Um, And I worked in our state's quality rating system for a while. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a big job. (laughs) Yeah, and in my free time, I'm a doctoral student at Ball State University. I'm working towards (laughs) my um, doctorate in early childhood um, and I'm focusing on diversity studies and adult and community education. You should really find a hobby because it looks like you're just, <laughs> you're just hanging around doing nothing most of the time, it sounds no, like. No, you know, it, it, it's all good. It's, it's good work, um, so I'm happy to do it. Excellent. Yeah. Well, tell us, um, you know, I, I met you, I don't know, five years ago or something like that. We were out in Maryland at the play-centric conference, which had a whole bunch of people from around the country who just really believe in play. So that was, was a good good bunch of people there. But then um, I suddenly saw your name on this book called Each and Every Child, um, put out by N-A-E-Y-C. Um, so that's why I think, oh, let's have Alyssa on. <laughs> How did you get involved in this book? And why is a book like this, you know, with lots of different... Um, uh, contributions from all sorts of authors. Why is a book like this needed and how is it going to help everybody? Yeah, so I um, got kind of roped in 
I'll say nicely um, to editing this book, which was an amazing experience. I've never done anything like this before. I've written content, but I've never actually curated and edited other people's content. So I learned a lot through that process. Um, but I sit on the governing board for NAEYC. Um, I'm in my last um, few moments of my term. It ends this summer. Um, and so for the past two years, I've been working um, on the Early Learning Systems Committee of the Governing Board, who's been writing some position statements. So you might have seen um, a few months ago, the Advancing Equity in Early Childhood Education position statement came out. Um, and so from that position statement, it really, um, we decided and the group decided that there needed to be some additional resources for teachers and educators to be able to take um, that position statement and really make it relevant and bring it home to their classrooms. Uh, so that's where the book came from. The book is a collection of articles that have been published in Teaching Young Children, which is um, NAEYC's uh, journal for teachers. And so pulling all of those articles together um, in one place where um, educators have easy access to it, and it's, some, it's full of articles that are just really relevant to their work in the classroom. Mm -hmm. What, besides your own, <laughs> what other topics get you really excited? What, what were you really glad to have included in that book? So I, Nadia Habonetta has a few articles in, in the book and she and I are great friends. Um, we met each other around the same time I met you, Heather, I think. And um, even though she's in San Francisco doing work um, that feels really different sometimes than the work that's happening in Indiana. It's was really awesome to see you know, how she's bringing those social justice, so, oh, social justice topics to um, her preschool classroom. And actually, I was able to have Nadia come and work with my teachers at the center I was directing um, previously to do some work around social justice and anti-bias education in their classrooms. Um, so I was really excited to be able to include her voice in the book. Um, Dr. Brian Wright is another um, author and ed educator um, that I was excited and I was able to edit uh, his work in our book um, all around supporting black boys in early childhood programs and classrooms. So mm -hmm. those were two that, you know, I definitely was like, yes, I want to read their articles. I want to work with them. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the chapters are pretty short. So it feels like they're um, just enough to get a teacher who's working with young kids every day to dive into the topic. And, but it's really a jumping off point for more, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and so we tried to include some reflection questions with each chapter so that then you could say, you know, I'm reading these articles, I'm, I'm starting to think about these topics maybe a little bit differently than I have before, and now here's some questions I'm going to reflect on and figure out what does that mean for me in my classroom every day. Um, and hopefully there's going to be more resources coming out um, that will help teachers to continue that reflection as they kind of go through their year in the classroom. Like web-based resources, that kind of thing, or what do you... I don't have any specifics yet. Um, I do anticipate there will be some web-based resources, um, maybe some more um, print resources. Um, and the thing I love about this book um, is that all membership got it for free in the mail. So it wasn't, I mean, we know educators, you know, make average $10.25 an hour across the country. Mm -hmm. um, even if they would love to have some certain books, they might not be able to, to put that into their budget. So this was, was free for all the members um, and then also available for purchase for non-members. I'm looking at it on Amazon right at the moment. It says it's available for pre-order at the moment. Um, are they gonna, Do you have any idea when they're going to start shipping it via mm -hmm. Amazon? You know, 
I'm not sure about that, but I would think it would be soon because I know that um, folks that ordered it, I know higher ed folks have already gotten theirs. Um, so I'd imagine any time. Yeah, um, just might, there might be some lag there with Amazon. There is sometimes. Yeah. I, will, I will include the link in the show notes um, for anybody that's interested in that. And for, for books, Heather knows this as well, uh, those pre-order numbers really help out with books. And so if you're, if you're going to get it, order it soon because those, uh, those pre-order numbers help out. They make publishers happy when the, the pre-order <laughs> numbers are good. So I uh, just want to throw that out there for listeners. So in the range of topics in this book, I mean, we're talking about everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what, what topics do you find that classroom teachers and daycare providers and so on are, are feeling the most anxious or worried or, or resistant or just plain old scared of how am I going to do this and, and am I going to do it right? What, do you, what kind of reactions are you getting from people? So, you know, I'm firmly planted in the Midwest. I've spent almost my entire career in Indiana, some in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and I will say the issues around race and culture are probably the, the stickiest, hottest topics. Um, and there's a million reasons why that, that's true. And I, from my work across the country, I know that it's not just the Midwest that's struggling with, with those topics. Um, so I was happy to be able to be the, the editor that worked on uh, the chapters around race and culture, uh, because of what I really felt like, and from my own experience in a program most recently that was, I mean, I think out of, of my 35 teachers, I had two black teachers, everybody else was white. Um, and those are just really hard topics to start to internalize as a white, as a white person, even as a, a person of color, they're, they're hard to internalize sometimes. Um, and so trying to make some real concrete recommendations for all teachers, especially white teachers, to be able to understand um, some of the nuances around uh, these topics, and then also be able to have some really concrete actions that they can take tomorrow. Because what I find is that white teachers want to engage in this work. They just, it's, it's new information. And for any topic, when we're getting new information, like we have to digest that for a little bit before we can start to, to move forward. And there's a lot of um, voices, a lot of external noise that makes it difficult to be able to really um, internalize some of these messages. Um, and so in my article, one of the first things I ask people to do is just like reflect a little bit on their own experiences, um, figure out if, if they've even seen um, some of these ideas happening in the world around them. And if they haven't, you know, what are some things that they could expose themselves to um, that maybe they can make them a little, you know, and, and be able to, to understand other people's experiences. So I think that's the, that's the heart of just good quality early childhood education to me is that you can empathize with someone else's experience, whether that's a child's experience, a family's experience, another educator's experience, even if you don't have any personal context around that. Right. Right. Empathy is really the key to, to working with humans, but especially with young, young humans. Yeah. And I think um, before we can help kids, we do have to help ourselves or work through things ourselves. And that's true. I think no matter what the scary topic is, you know, like emotions, so many people are scared of their own feelings and their own anger and their own fear and their own grief. And 
But if we can't work through and accept some of that, how are we going to do it with the kids? Although I have met adults who are better at helping kids than they have a mess inside themselves, but they're actually <laughs> better at helping other people. So yeah, I think sometimes you can help somebody without having your own house in order mm -hmm. to a degree. Definitely. And you know, I think it's, it's just putting yourself in that position of, you know, we, all of us have struggles in our lives. Um, and so thinking about how we can leverage the, own, the struggles that we've been through to help understand somebody else's struggle. Um, I don't think there's anybody in this world, especially early childhood educators that are coming in with, with no, you know, no, no struggles, no issues, no worries, like we've all got them. So let's just leverage those to help to, to support other people. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Um, we want to dive into some of the topics that, that you wrote about. Um, Jeff, do we need to save this for another segment or can we um, No, we're only about 10 minutes in right now, so I think we're good. All right. So your topic just, uh, it, it, I forget the exact name, but it's about how to stop getting preschoolers expelled from preschool. Maybe, do you want to say the exact chapter title? Do you have it memorized? Goodness, I have to open my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I think people see that like preschool expulsion, is that a thing? Like, does that actually happen? I know. Um, and I think when you're thinking about, you know, fully play-based programs, I would say it probably happens less. Um, a lot of times we're seeing these issues of suspensions and expulsions happening in programs that aren't developmentally appropriate to begin with. Um, and so we're asking children to conform to ideas that aren't even appropriate for where they are developmentally. Um, so my topic is, or my chapter, it's called Six Things You Can Do to Prevent Preschool Exposure. Um, and so taking um, what we know about um, some of the research that's come out from folks like Dr. Walter Gilliam at Yale and his work around implicit bias in preschool expulsion to think about, you know, what's the adult's role in making sure that children are having um, productive, quality, um, good experiences in the programs that they're in. Um, because we know that there are programs that have these expectations for children that the children could never meet. Um, can I ask a question? Wouldn't it be good for kids to get kicked out of those programs? Well, that's, that's honestly where an equity thing comes in, though, because in some communities, that's all that there is. Yeah. So if a family has to choose between, um, you know, maybe just a babysitter that their child might sit in front of a TV or even stay at home alone, God forbid, mm -hmm. um, or uh, the structured program, um, yeah. families don't have a lot of choices sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, my hope is then that if, if educators are reflecting on how they can support children, then maybe they're going to change their practice a little bit. Um, um, yeah. Right. So do you have facts at your fingertips or, or anecdotal stories about, I mean, how many kids are being expelled? Because when I first wrote, it's okay not to share, I was so stunned that children were, that it was possible to be expelled as a four-year-old or a three-year-old, you know, from a preschool. And of course, I heard just anecdotal stories from people, mostly because the school that I based the the book's philosophy on the school for young children they accept children who have been expelled from other programs with open arms and they they say oh that's a great kid you know because their program is so play-based and 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 dealing with the emotions and the everything else that 
Um, in fact, my brother was one of the ones. He got kicked out of Sunday school preschool, um, like a, a church-run program. And my mom went home in tears and thought that you know she had a violent three-year-old son who was going to destroy the world because he strangled other children. And that was because he wanted to play with them. But she was sent home in tears, and you know my brother was asked not to come back to the program. And that's when she looked around and found a play-based program. Mm -hmm. And he was welcomed, and they just said, oh, he wants to play with other kids. He needs to come around to the front side of them and ask rather than you know strangle them from behind. Right. So expulsion, how much is going on? Do you have any idea? You know, I don't have any figures at hand um, for, because I think the other part of it is and Dr. Gilliam talks about this in his research, is expulsion is sometimes called other things. Um, and so programs will mask the fact that they are expelling a child by saying, you know, we've helped them find a better fit for them. Um, you know, this, they, they call it lots of different things so it sounds better. Um, and I most recently worked in a program that was one of those um, where, where the children that are kicked out of other programs come. Um, and so part of that is that, you know, we just had a lot more support in our program. We had more teachers. We had mental health consultation. Um, we had a large administrative staff that we could actually do the one-on-one -on -one work that some children need. Um, because I think this whole idea of children being expelled, like there's different buckets of this. So there's children that, you know, maybe like your brother, or, you know, just maybe don't have the communication skills that they need to engage in play in ways that adults find acceptable. And so they're, you know, doing these other behaviors. No, there's also children that have real mental health issues that have been unidentified. Um, and so, you know, that takes a different sort of, um, of approach. And then there's the other piece that my article really addresses is this idea of how teacher implicit bias drives some of these things. Mm -hmm. So the thing we know about implicit bias is it's not something that we are conscious of. It's something that we're making these snap decisions based on the um, information that we've received our whole life from the media, from our family, from you know the, the, our society around us that tells us certain types of people are safe and certain types of people are unsafe. And our brain does that automatically. It's how we've survived all of these, you know, hundreds of thousands of years as human beings to be able to categorize. But some of those categories aren't necessarily useful categories, um, but still our brain has internalized them. So then what we see is not only are boys being expelled um, at, a, at a higher rate. Higher rate, yeah. Then you add color on top of that. And so that takes black boys into a completely different um, stratosphere with expulsion. And one of the slides that made the most, it really affected me when I saw Dr. Gilliam speak. Um, this is maybe two years ago at an NAUYC conference. And he was just presenting his research for the first time, so maybe three years ago. He had a slide um, that had the three B's of preschool expulsion. And it said big black boy. Um, I have an eight-year-old son at home um, who at eight years old is a little over five foot and weighs about 125 pounds. Uh -huh. So when I saw those words big black boy, like that was my son that popped up in my head. And I had those experiences as his mom and him, you know, being out in the world and people having expectations about him that weren't true. Um, and so that's how I always try to approach this is, you know, I know my son, he's a very quiet, 
sweet, mild-mannered boy. Um, but just last year in the camp he went to over spring break was in trouble every day, um, which is not, it's not his MO whatsoever. Um, and so just thinking about that other layer of why is he being singled out? Um, and, you know, he was the only brown boy in the group of children, um, probably was doing something some other boys were doing, but he was the one that was noticed at doing those things and not the other children. Um, and so those things are happening every day in the classroom. And I think the importance is that teachers like don't beat themselves up about it. Like you can't help what messages your brain has um, been given your whole life, but you can start to notice them and start to make different choices. Mm -hmm. So at this point, can we pause here and come back and continue this discussion in another episode? Sure. <gasps> Right in the middle of it. Okay. Well, you know, in the podcast business, that's what they call a, a cliffhanger, a tease, <laughs> if you will, so that people will push play when the next episode comes out. Um, this has been Renegade Rules. It's going to be a quick week, people. We'll be right back in just, you know, six and a half, seven days with the follow-up episode. And if you're listening to this in 2025, you can push play on that next episode right now. So uh, it's going to be there for you real quick. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.